You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We've been going through a a study of 1 Corinthians at our church, and so I'm just going to drag you into that because I wasn't willing to write a whole new sermon for you. Um, I mean, I'm not a slacker that goes off to Alaska on cruises. But I'm also not willing to write a new sermon for you. Um, I got accused early in my married days, uh, I don't know if it was just or not, of thinking that I always had to be right. And uh, I was perplexed by the accusation. I thought, well, are there people that don't think they're right? Like, do they think they're wrong? And this apparently was not the point of the accusation. (laughs) Apparently there was an attitude issue that was really being identified, kind of the superiority attitude and the condescension attitude that were the real complaint, right? Um, And those things can be just as bad if you're right or if you're wrong. Superiority. And uh, it makes it hard to live with people and get along with people if you've got superiority problems. Well... I don't know if you know about this church in Corinth or if you've uh, read this book much, but the letter that Paul is writing to them, he planted the church like five years before this, and um, they were having a lot of troubles. And he kind of, in the letter, goes into those troubles. They're sort of startling troubles that they have in this church. Um, But he comes at them early on in the book saying, there's a root behind a lot of what's causing divisions for you guys. And that root is that attitude of superiority. Right? It comes out in different ways, but you're treating each other badly when you have any kind of tension or abrasion in your church because you've got these attitudes of superiority that uh, are totally inconsistent with the message about Jesus that you've heard. And so that's what he's talking to him about. This is 1 Corinthians 4, if you want to find that. But... Um, the example he's been using is about ministers. Like, some of them were really loyal to him. Some were really loyal to the minister who had come after him, who was apparently a much better preacher named Apollos. And he's talked for several chapters about them, using them as an example. He's saying, y'all are fighting over this. You kind of are fanboys of different ministers. And not only is that weird, but it's also... Um, it shows that you're disconnected from the message about Jesus and His grace. Uh, it, it's where your sense of superiority is coming out. You think you're better than other people because of your attachment to one of the ministers. It's not a very common problem for us today, but it was, it was their issue, and it gave them a way to talk about superiority. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, why superiority, attitudes of superiority are such a problem, and how um, Jesus can change that in us. So let me pray for us and then we'll read the scripture. Uh, Father, we ask that you would come and meet with us and speak to us. We're here uh, because we love you and want to know you. Uh, We don't want to just go through the motions here. So we pray that you would come and speak to us and draw us close to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is beginning of verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 4. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, 
that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, so that none of you may be puffed up in favor one against another. For who sees anything different in you? I mean, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And this is God's Word. It's, uh, it's absolutely true, and it's given to us because He loves us. So, um, I didn't go on an Alaskan tour for uh, vacation, but I did go see my family last week, which is more appropriate for a Christian, don't you think? <laughs> and uh, so I went, and within a distance of about 40 miles, I went from the deepest of blue America to the deepest of red America, and uh, nobody was kidding around either place, let me tell you. Um, and I also walked into a, a denominational fight, um, uh, Methodists. Everybody else had their fights like 30 or 50 or 70 years ago, but Methodists are nice, right? So, like, it took them a long time to have some of the fights they're having. It reminded me of the stories of the fights denominationally that happened in the Presbyterian world and, and others. But what I noticed, as you usually will, is that both sides in the fight are on Jesus' side. Right? And uh, pretty sure about that. Um, one side is very loving and accepting, you know, like Jesus. And they'll tell you. And the other side is valiant for truth, you know, like Jesus. Right. And they'll tell you about it. They don't see each other that way. Um, the, uh, the valiant for truth side looks at their opponents and says, you guys are just sellouts to the culture. You have no backbone or spine. You're afraid that uh, somebody's going to dislike you and think you're uncool if you hold to the scriptural teachings. That's what's really going on, your sellouts. And then the uh, tolerant open side is saying to the others, you're just using uh, ostensible biblical convictions to justify your prejudice against gay people. That's what you're really doing. Right? They're pretty sure about each other and pretty sure about themselves. Now, I'm not saying the conversations they're having are simple and I'm not in the middle of them and I don't know all the angles and things. What I did notice, though, is that it, it's a tougher time to have a church fight like that because the country is so politically polarized and the people attach themselves to their position in the church with the same kind of language and attitudes that they attach themselves to their political tribes. And it made it worse. I, I mean, ours was pretty bad in the 70s, and there are lots of stones to be cast, I'm sure. But, um, but they live in a time when their sense of superiority is only fanned into flame by many of their uh, exposures to media and to political figures. Right? You are the good, right citizens. You are the ones who actually care about what's true and good and right. And those other people, I don't want to be uncharitable and say they're evil, so I guess I'll just have to say they're stupid. Right? And like nobody that runs for office can say anything else, it seems like, and get elected. The other people aren't just 
people who disagree with us on some points, they have to be mendacious. They have to be evil. They have to be sinister. And so in the church conversations, that superiority attitude um, exponentially increases the friction uh, because in the church, they're indulging attitudes of superiority and condescension towards people that disagree with them. And Paul says, this is what's happening to you with your fanboy issues with the ministers, right? It's your, it's your sense of superiority that's really causing these problems to be awful instead of causing them to be small problems. And it's what's causing your divisions. So um, let's talk a little bit about what he says, the problem of superiority and then how Jesus deals with us when we have these attitudes. Um, he says in verse 6 here, in the problem of superiority, that you're finding things to be puffed up in favor of one against another. Something that makes you one up on the other people in the church. Gives you credibility. Gives you a sense of maturity and spirituality uh, that others don't have as deeply. Right? You're finding something to prop yourself up. I'm more spiritual. I'm more on Jesus' side because of X, Y, or Z. In their case, it was which preacher they liked the best. You know, I don't know if, I don't know how good Garrett is. And if y'all are having any of these problems yet. Um, but I, he, he seems like he might be pretty good, too. Um, but it's a weird problem. I don't, I mean, we don't have... At least at my church, we don't have fanboy problems with ministers. And uh, so, and I guess that's good. But he says, I'm using this as an example. I'm using Apollos, who's the good preacher that came after, and myself as an example. So you'll learn not to go beyond what's written. And that's a weird uh, phrase to translate. But the context of it seems to be saying, you're going beyond the message that you've heard. Right, about Jesus and His grace. If you're looking for something to make you superior to other Christians, because there isn't anything. You know, everything you have is gift. So it's silly for you to be feeling superior to each other. But that's what he says is their problem. You know, um, and it seems like human nature to me. You want to find something to make you feel superior. You know, I, I like to fish. And um, when you talk to people who like to trout fish, you know, they always are trying to establish their credibility, their superiority a little bit. Well, we don't use bait to fish, you know. We use only artificial lures without barbs, <laughs> right? Right? But if you go to England, they're like, you cast willy-nilly into a stream without seeing the fish? That's uh, how unsporting, right? And, you're not, this is not what the essence and beauty of the sport really is. And you're like, okay, it's just fishing. But, <laughs> but you know, that it's not unusual to want to find a way to be superior to other people. In church, where it's meaner, it usually comes out in things like, I'm, I'm the doctrine guy. Like, I know more than the other people. And I can pick apart what's wrong with what anybody ever says, right? And that'll show you that I get it, that I'm insightful, that I'm enlightened, that I'm mature because I'm the doctrine guy. I'm good at it. Or if you're the mercy ministry person, especially a Presbyterian church, 
you know, everybody's living inside their head and you're, you kind of stroll in with all the moral credibility. Well, I've been out serving the less fortunate and the poor, you know, you, while you guys have been reading your doctrine books or whatever, right? <laughs> so, you know, the mercy play is a good one in the Presbyterian church because you can be superior and condescending towards people who don't care about the poor, you know, like Jesus did. And you could be the tolerant person, the accepting person, the hard moral lines person that's willing to take the stand. These things can make you feel fantastic. They can make you feel mature. They can make you feel spiritual. You can be the, I really just care about evangelism person. And um, that's a good play too. It gives you a way to be condescending, a way to feel superior. Um, but condescension always goes with superiority, right? If you're feeling superior, it's no fun if you can't use it to be condescending towards other people. You're lessers. You might not call them that, but in your heart of hearts, you know, right? They're the lessers. I despise them. Um, I, I've dabbled in all these I haven't dabbled that much in the mercy one, but um, <laughs> it's not my gift. The, uh, <laughs> um, I was a doctrine guy early on. That's an easy one. It's easy to be good at that one. Um, when I first got married, my wife and I went to a church that I picked, and uh, they changed ministers. And I really liked that first minister. Um, he'd taken interest in me and been kind of a mentor and I didn't like the guy who came after him. And Julie knows that because every day on Sundays when we were driving home from church, five minute drive, I had her in tears because I had just lit the guy up for five full minutes of a five minute drive about everything that he said that was wrong and all the ways in which I didn't like what he was doing. And this felt to me like maturity, spirituality. Um, depth and Paul would say he said in the chapter before this he says you know your, your little ministerial fanboy stuff makes you think that you're mature but you're just babies I can't even give you anything but milk because you haven't paid any attention to the basic message of what Jesus said right superiority creates division and abrasion in the church and even if you've got things that are important that have to be talked about in places where you really have differences, um, superiority makes them way worse. And so it makes it very much harder for us to live together that way. Um, because what happens is if you start feeling superior, you start in yourself. You know, you think, well, I'm on the side of Jesus and the angels, then whatever cheap shots I take are okay because it's for a good cause. Right. Or I can be dismissed. I don't have to be charitable to people that disagree with me because I'm on Jesus side. So that's what really matters. Right. Is that I'm right. And so I don't have to deal with my superiority and deal with that. Uh, all my actions and motives must be good. Now, on the other hand, your actions and motives, if you disagree with me, are clearly suspect. Right. It's uh, they're not foibles. They're deliberate, intentional uh, mistakes, deliberate rebellion. You know, if I break the rules, well, he meant well, my motives were good. I, you know, it's for a good cause. I, I may have overstepped the line, but I was just because I care so much, you know. But if you break the rules on the other side, well, it just goes to show that your cause has been sinister all along. 
you're on the side of the demons, not the angels. And you can't go very far in a church fight without dividing up angels versus demons. Right? You can never just disagree in church. You have to be, you know, convictionally distressed, you know, because the other side is leading us into unfaithfulness. And these are superiority problems. Right? There are problems we have to deal with for sure. But the superiority is what makes them so bad. Um, and Paul says if you're, if you're finding things to make you feel up on other Christians, superior to them, then you're missing the point. You're going beyond what's written. You're missing the basic message about Jesus. So let's talk about that a little bit. How does the gospel of Jesus, his good news, undermine superiority? Uh, what does that do for us? You know, he says, if you go beyond what's written, that's, you're going beyond the message that you've received. You're going beyond uh, the good news about Jesus, which is that we all were rebels against God and he came to our rescue, even though we didn't deserve it at all. We deserve the opposite. But Jesus came and lived and died and rose for us so that we could be reconciled to God. Right? Basic Christian message. Um, what in the Christian message gives you a place to feel proud? Nothing. Right? You're not a Christian because you were smarter, more spiritually attuned, more moral. None of those things. You're a Christian because God had mercy on you when you didn't deserve it at all. You're all charity cases. And Paul's saying if you believe that or knew it, then you'd feel a little silly being superior to other Christians or trying to be superior to them. It wouldn't make any sense to you. It wouldn't feel right. So he says, you know, unpacking that in verse 7, what do you have that you did not receive? He's obviously saying nothing. But what do you have that you haven't received? Your theological acumen? Did you receive that or did you earn that? You know, your success in life, in your vocation, your obedient children? I know. Um, but in as much as, the, uh, are these things that you've been given or are these things you earned? And Paul's idea is... <laughs> These are things you've been given. You got nothing to be proud of. You probably won't. Remember that first uh, vacation movie that Chevy Chase did? He's driving the family truckster, went down a road that was closed somewhere near here, apparently. Uh, goes through the road close sign. The family truckster launches, flies like 50 yards in the air, and, and crashes down into the desert. And as they're talking about it, his son says, Dad. You must have flown 50 yards in the car. And he says, oh, Rusty, that's nothing to be proud of. 50 yards. <laughs> Paul said, you're about as foolish as that, finding something to be proud of as a Christian when everything you have in your life is a gift. And so that makes sense. That's easy to say, you know. But, you know, it applies to the leaders. Like, why, why, are you, why are you making a big deal about the leaders? He says all through the chapter before this, look, I planted the church. Apollos watered it. Big deal. God causes the growth, not the, not the minister. Like, the minister might impress you, but he ain't going to change your heart or give you faith. Right? I'm, 
why would you think that matters? Why would you think you're somebody because you picked the best minister? I mean, Apollos and I don't think that way. We're not, we're not trying to one-up each other or compete. Like we, we're servants and stewards. That's it. You know, we're cooking dinner. You know, the food is what matters. And he's saying it doesn't make any sense for you to be superior about us. Who cares if you like the more impressive minister? Um, but the superior attitude poisons us. It's like as if what you have isn't a gift. You know, and when that happens, you, like you stop listening with respect and charity to the people that disagree with you. Because you think somehow you're better. Somehow you're smarter. Somehow you're more insightful than they are. And even if you were, it's nothing to be proud of, right? Because it's a gift, right? It should make you humble if you're right. Because, you, know, you know, left to yourself, you wouldn't be. But you start to assume other people aren't smart or spiritual like you. And it's poison in the church. You know? we, I think we run into the opposite problem sometimes where leaders uh, feel superior. And, uh, and it's not the people making too much of the leaders, it's leaders making too much of themselves. You know, where I don't want, nobody can challenge me. I set up things in the church so that I'm sort of untouchable and I only hear positive reinforcement and news. And, you know, it's pretty easy to start usurping the place of Jesus and overusing your authority or abusing your authority. Um, these are the more common stories for us, right? But it's the same root issue of superiority. I'm the one who gets it. I'm the one who's really on Jesus' side. My tradition is the really right one. And even if it is, which it probably isn't, it's a gift. It's nothing to be proud of, right? And factions in the church are like this too, you know? And what connects you to the church? Is it common faith in Jesus Christ or is it a place where you can be congratulated for being in your political tribe or your doctrinal silo where I want to go somewhere where everybody agrees with me and if I'm good at these things, everybody will think I'm awesome. Right? You don't want to be like the only Republican in a Democrat church, right? Or the only, you know, only person in a Presbyterian church that doesn't believe in baptizing babies or something. There's no cred there. You just get shamed because superiority matters to us, right? Also, superiority messes up our mercy ministry because mercy ministry changes from being us recognizing ourselves in the poor and moving out towards them in Jesus' name, and it turns into us condescending to help the less fortunate. Yeah. And who wants to be the object of that kind of charity? Right. But if you forget that you're a charity case, you're going to treat charity cases different. It's a superiority issue. And it's hard for us. So a couple of things, try to push back against it, um, is that Christians should be really working to be immune from flattery. Because people who try to manipulate you by flattery are just using you for one thing. But also, um, flattery shouldn't get traction in people who think that everything they have is a gift. What you have is not earned. So if you flatter me for having the right moral view, well, that's silly. It's nothing for me to be proud of. If I happen to have the right view, it's Jesus is merciful to me. I've had so many of my views have to change over time that I'm not, I'm not super jacked up about the views I have right now. You know? and, uh, so, but flattery 
is should be like red warning flags popping up for us. Why is somebody trying to flatter me in the church? We said we're all here because of gift, right? That's what all our vows when we took them. We just said it's all gift. It's all Jesus' mercy. So flattery's a danger sign. We should try to steel ourselves against flattery. And then another way you push back is to make friends with people who disagree with you who are smarter than you. And they exist, right? <laughs> um, I don't know. That's, that's helped me a lot. I feel like because it, it, it makes me think, okay, even if I'm right about what I'm saying, it's not because I'm smarter than the other person. It's not because I've got beautiful insight and enlightenment and sensitivity and all this. It's it's gift. It shouldn't surprise you at all for somebody who disagrees with you, even some people who aren't Christians, to be way smarter than you. Because you're not a Christian because you're smart. You're Christian because of gift. Right? It shouldn't shock you to run into Christians who are a lot better, I mean, non-Christians who are a lot better parents than you are. Because gift, right? I mean, um, what you have has been given to you. And to be around uh, people that can help you see that can be pretty beneficial. All right. um, hang on with this. I'm a guest preacher. I can talk about this. Um, I got to talk about this afternoon, though, so I, I'll, I, can, I got time to change it. The uh, last four or five years, it seems like, uh, in conversations about politics and culture, um, people have mentioned white privilege a lot, more than I ever remember hearing about growing up. And uh, what I saw was a tremendous uh, resistance to the idea the very idea that there could be such a thing as privilege. And part of the resistance that I heard was, I'm unsure about uh, what conclusions you're drawing from this and what we ought to do together in response to it. And I feel like, fair enough, that's a complicated question. I don't have the answer to that question. But a lot of the pushback to it was an attack on the self-made person myth. If you say that part of what I've accomplished in my life is due to privilege, then you're saying I didn't earn it. And if you're saying I didn't earn it, then we're going to have words because I did earn it. You don't know how hard I work, right? You don't know the sacrifices that I've made. Don't you dare attribute what I've accomplished to privilege, right? That part of it was a little more spooky to me. Right when I would hear it in my own little heart, it was spooky to me um, because it showed that in my heart I've got a tremendous resistance to the idea that everything is a gift. I don't like it. What do you have that wasn't given to you? What do you have that you didn't receive? Say, well, I've got my 401k and I've got my career and resume and I've got my family and I've got and I've got a long list that I could go down with that. And Paul's saying, yeah, but, you know, remember, you became a Christian. right? So now world's upside down and you see what you have as a gift. All of it. It's a gift. Are you saying that there's no difference between me and a homeless person? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no difference between me and a minority, no difference between me and a non-Christian. Well, if there's a difference, it's a gift. It's nothing to be proud of. And I don't know, that's hard for me to swallow. I, I, uh, I mean, it's not that hard to understand. It's just hard to stomach it. I've got despising thoughts about other people that I really enjoy. You know, those people. Oh, let me see that Twitter feed again. Yes, how like them. Aren't they the worst? I love that, man. That's just, nobody had to teach me that. I came out knowing that. And Jesus comes and says, yeah, no, it's all gift. What you have is gift. And if you forget that and look for some way to be superior, I don't know, you may have some clever way, some really nuanced way to feel superior. You know, I probably would respect it. But, um, <laughs> but it goes against what's written. It goes beyond what's written. Um, like for liberals and conservatives, an attitude of superiority is unbiblical. That's what he says. You're being unbiblical. You're going beyond what's written. So don't do that. <laughs> or what I really mean is, Jesus loves people with superior attitudes and is willing to be merciful to them. Uh, maybe to pull back the curtain on them a little bit to let them see what's in their heart because he wants you close to him. Um, he wants to free you from trying to maintain your superiority because he loves you. And he's willing to give you all the things that you've received. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.